If we can, let's pray real quick after that song. Father God, we thank you for how good you've been. Father God, we thank you for the works that you've done. We thank you that during this pandemic, during this crisis, that you have shown yourself, God, that you have shown yourself good and faithful. We thank you that through our lives that you have shown yourself good and faithful, God. Now we ask you that as we go into this time of proclamation of the word and preaching, God, that you would open hearts, Father. We ask you that you would make us aware of your presence, God. We ask you that today would be the day of salvation for someone that doesn't know you, and we ask you that today would be the day of revival for those that have and are warned. God, we ask you that you would be ever-present. God, we ask you that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I forgot to mention during the announcements that directly after service, we will be having a business meeting in this room. Um, So if you are a guest, we thank you so much for meeting with us. You are free to leave after that, um, if you don't want, to, if you, you're free to leave after the after the church service, we'll have a business meeting. After this, it will not be uh, broadcast; it'll just be in here. Um, so we do have that coming up after the message. I just wanted to get that out of the way and say that before I forgot. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. All right, um, I ain't feeling you this morning. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, amen? Amen. Amen. It is great. As always, I am honored to to be able to stand in the pulpit and deliver a message this morning. I do ask you to forgive me if you see me yanking on my britches and and all that kind of stuff. The last time I wore this jacket, um, it looked like the scene from Toy Story of Slinky Dog and Woody, as Woody's holding onto his hand and he's being pulled from the from the truck, and and Woody's going, "Slink, just hold on, man." Uh, my wife has had me on a diet. Um, apparently, when your dad has his first heart attack at forty, and then you start having high blood pressure, that makes your wife freak out, and uh, she starts feeding you rabbit food. And so I have lost close to twenty pounds, and my clothes don't fit. So. If you see me yanking on my britches, that's what's going on. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. (laughs) I had somewhere that I was going with that, and I completely forgot about it. Um, I'm thankful to Pastor Ian for giving me the opportunity to speak, um, and I'm glad to hear that they enjoyed their time away. Charleston is beautiful. I love Charleston so much. History, uh, such a great city, but um, we've been to Charleston with... uh, with summer camps and with Fuge, and the one thing that I know about Charleston is in July, it is hot. It is hot. And so I'm glad that they made it back. Okay, I feel that the series that he's been giving, uh, dealing with the organization and responsibilities of the church has been much needed, and I very much enjoyed enjoyed it. I've loved it. When I learned that I would have the responsibility to deliver the message this morning, my mind immediately went to student ministry and the responsibility of the church in student ministry, but God has led me in a slightly different direction.
The message I've prepared this morning is still geared to the younger generation because I believe they're bombarded by this topic that we're going to speak about every single day in all sorts of media. But I feel that God has truth in this message for every generation. Over the last Over the course of the last two months, I've had several people in our congregation and outside of our fellowship ask me about certain things that I've posted on social media, and I feel the need to clarify my feelings. It it wasn't anything that I posted that was wrong. It was just, hey, um, could you elaborate on what you mean? But I feel the need to start with two disclaimers. The first is this. This is not a political sway speech. My goal this morning is not to sway you to vote a certain way or to become an activist for any certain cause. My goal is to deliver truths from the word of God and address what I believe is a moral and theological issue facing the church today. And on this end, I would ask you to pray with me as I deliver this message I feel God has tasked me with in kindness in love, and in humility. Secondly, I ask that if I offend you by anything that I have said, that you would first reference Scripture. If what I have said is unbiblical, then you and I can have a discussion about that, and rightly so, you can call me on error. But if Scripture reaffirms what I have said, I ask you to address the error in your heart. The second is that you will have an open mind and heart to these truths. That you would not cheapen the truth of the gospel by trying to tie it to your preferred political message, but that you would give all glory and credit to Christ from whom these truths flow. Political division is destroying families, communities, and fellowships, and the gospel should edify and strengthen these bonds. The gospel is the most offensive text ever written, do not get me wrong. But it was never meant to be a weapon with which we destroyed relationships. Now, it was meant to be something that was called out in error and called back to fellowship. Never a weapon. Now that I have you utterly nervous, and I can see my wife squirming in her seat, The title of my message this morning is The Social Justice and the Gospel, Reconciling God's Love with Political Activism. If you would turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to him, putting him to the test, saying, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, he being Jesus, You have answered correctly, do this, And you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, and because now he's a bit embarrassed, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by a chance, a priest 
was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, being the lawyer, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray real quick before we get into this text. Father God, we come before you today, Lord, and and I ask you that you would just open our hearts and minds, Father. Father, I ask you that you would just loose me and let me go, Father. I ask you that you would allow me to preach with reckless abandon as a dying man to dying people, Father. Father, I ask you that the words from my mouth would not be mine but would be yours, Because if these people hear a message from me, they've missed it. But if they hear a message from you, they can change the world. Father God, I ask you that you just fill us this morning. Help us to understand your word. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I I feel like that if we're going to speak on social justice, if we're going to speak on that term, then we need to define justice because we can't speak of a term unless it has a definite definition. You can't use a term unless you know what the term is. Um, My daughter is really bad about this. She hears big words on TV and then she'll try to just throw them in everyday conversation. The last one that she had was It was a massive word. I cannot, my mind is blank. I can't even remember what it was. But she would just use it in everyday conversation. And I kind of felt like Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. So if we're going to use a term, we need to define the term. The biblical definition of justice is what God calls justice. Justice. God is rightly called many times a just God. God himself states that he loves justice and that he will punish the unjust. So it only makes sense that if we're going to speak of justice, to know what it is that God calls justice. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9 says, says, Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Micah 6.8 goes on about justice. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does he require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Proverbs 28 states, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. So what is justice? Justice is simply to love God, love the things that he loves, And hate the things that he hates. Justice is simply to do right. Justice is simply to do the character of God. 
So if that is our definition, then we are to love righteousness and hate sin. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. God's justice is impartial to color, creed, or status. Justice is a blanket covering the wicked and the righteous. Justice is true, perfect, and never changing. Justice is the same for every man, woman, and child. There is no gray. There is only justice and injustice, right and wrong, sin and righteousness. Justice is even and stable. Justice is the character of God. And to change the definition of justice to fit the need of your situation is to attack the very character of God. Justice never changes. It is clear what God has called the Christian to do with justice. Jeremiah 22 verses 3 states... Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Do justice and righteousness. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what is the Christian's responsibility then with this term justice if it is to do right? As Christians, we are called to be a voice to the voiceless, a lifter of the oppressed. We are called... We are to call out injustice where we see it, pray for those that are afflicted, and meet the needs of those that have less. We are called to love those that seem unlovable, pray for those that seem to be our enemies, and address sin and love where we see it. We are called to be the mouthpiece of God and to trumpet the gospel as a bugle call of hope for the world to hear. We are, we are called to the mountaintops to proclaim that he says, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for your yoke, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We are called to scream to the nations that Christ is alive and he takes away the sins of the world and though we were dead, he has made us alive and what he's done for me, he longs to do for you. That is justice. Justice is to tell people that there is a real heaven, there is a real hell, and we will spend eternity in one of those two places depending on what we do with the term justice. This term cannot be changed. Justice is justice. So, if we add the term before it, social and we make it social justice. How does that fit into the gospel? How do we reconcile social justice with the love of God? What is the biblical definition of social justice? There is not one mention of social justice in the Bible. You can look through the gospels. You can look through the Old Testament. There is not one mention of social justice in the Bible. 
there is only justice. Because the the word justice does not need a prefix. There is no need to say what is right and wrong in certain situations. It is simply just and unjust. The term social justice has its roots in Marxism and socialism. And is a secular term that has been adopted by political movements and in recent times, the church. And the reason that I am being so harsh on this term, on this term social justice, is because I do believe that it is threatening the church. I do believe that it is threatening the church, this term social justice. So what is the secular definition of social justice? The world has taken this term justice and hitched it to the civil rights movement. So that anytime someone's perceived rights are infringed upon, it is seen as an injustice. Now I want to pause here for just a second and point out that there are causes that the social justice movement is fighting for that are sincerely unjust. I'll speak to that in a moment, but there are things that the social justice movement is fighting for that are sincerely unjust and that fly against the face of God and attack the very character of God. But there are also things that God would call unjust. The issue with this term is that it encompasses a wide range of active of actions and activities. The Oxford Dictionary defines social justice as justice in terms of the distribution of wealth, opportunities, and privileges within a society. From the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU's website, a few of the issues that are linked to social justice are police brutality, racial rights, immigrants' rights, women's rights, LGBTQ plus rights, prisoners' rights, religious liberty, and other issues that tend to fall into these categories. The problem with the term social justice is that it encompasses issues that are not just in the eyes of God. Their terms and definitions are fluid and change on a seemingly daily basis. The message heard around the world that has been hitched to social justice has been Black Lives Matter, and rightly so. Every person on the face of the planet is an image bearer of God. And we are seeing that racism is alive and well. And we also have to understand that the black community is facing issues that whites predominantly don't face. So we can't just be completely insincere to that and and cut off from it. We have to understand that there are issues in this movement that are issues that people are struggling with. But we hear this message when someone is the victim of police violence, but not when a conservative estimate of 400,000 black babies are aborted every year. Abortion is the number one cause of death for a black person. And we don't hear that. The term justice is hitched to causes that are both just and unjust. And if something isn't just, it is wrong. And if it is wrong, it cannot be just. Understand that I am not saying that what is happening in the world today needs to be looked over and swept under the rug. But what I am saying is that we cannot use a term that literally does not mean what the definition means. 
and call that righteous. The term justice is hitched to causes that are both just and unjust. And if something isn't just, it is wrong. And if it is wrong, it cannot be just. That's the very definition of the word justice. We cannot mourn the loss of one life and then celebrate a cop being killed. There was recently a young woman whose father was a police officer. And her father was killed in the line of duty. She posted a status and tagged the term, Blue Lives Matter. The overwhelming hate that was spewed against her was sickening. People praising the killing of cops. We cannot say that simply because there is injustice that all should die for that injustice. The Bible clearly states that a man will die for his own sins. Ezekiel 18 verse 20 speaks to this. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the righteousness of the wicked shall be upon himself. We cannot punish someone for the sins of another and call that just. We now see that the lines are being skewed to the point that things that are merely seen as offensive are labeled microaggressions. If you simply disagree with someone, you have offended them and therefore have attacked them via a microaggression and therefore they are an oppressor. The reason I speak so harshly to social justice is because I've seen this in the church as well as the world. Someone from some church or a Christian by name that will not submit to the fellowship of a body of believers because they are certain their actions will be called out as sin. Let you stew on that for just a second. Will hop on social media and post a political status that at best may not be truthful, but at worst may be opposing to the gospel, and they will get differing viewpoints in the comments. Then they cry that they are a victim of persecution and that they are being attacked. No, you're stupid. You posted that specifically to get an argument. And then when you get an argument and someone has read up on that argument more than you have read up on your argument, you're being attacked. No, stay off of social media. We have Christians around the world that are being beheaded, loaded on trains, and fall victims of genocide, gassed, burned alive, martyred, but yes, you have been persecuted because some Karen hurt your feelings. This is social justice creeping into the church. Because now, not only is it because of the fact that someone has retaliated against you on social media, it's because you thought it was okay to post something on social media in the first place that was offensive to someone that had absolutely nothing to do with the gospel. And when Jesus says they shall know you by your love for one another, we completely throw that out the window. It has become in the, church of, of, in the church today that the overwhelming way that people know us as the church is by what we're against and the people we hate. It's not because we want to show people the love. It's not because we want to show people that we have the gospel. 
It's because we want to hop on every bandwagon that, that the latest politician who has been labeled a conservative has put out there. Whether it's biblical or not. We cannot celebrate things that God hates and expect him to bless a nation of abomination. The fact that social justice movements and groups would mourn the loss of one life and celebrate the the loss of another is an attack on the very character of God. The fact that society would be disgusted at the act of sexual offense in the form of rape, and rightly so, but then celebrate pornography, indecency, pedophilia, and sexual sin is an attack on the very character of God. The fact that Christians would say they love God and then treat others contradictory to the gospel is an attack on the very character of God. So why is that important? Please do not hear me say that I do not believe that the black community is facing a crisis. Because I can already feel the emails coming in. I have been very vocal that I believe that the church needs to reach into the black community... And that right now, that community is hurting and is facing racism in a very real way. I believe that reform needs to happen. And there are several issues that the black community is facing that whites simply do not face as a whole. And that the church should not wait for the government to start those crusades. That the church should be on the forefront of racial reconciliation. But if we are to bring about godly justice, then it is only in the cross of Christ that we can find that justice. We are living in a time that has been building for centuries. A man shall not die for the sins of another, but in Genesis 34, in Genesis chapter 3, in the story of Adam, we see that the sins of the father are a curse on the next generations. The curse of sin has been broken by the blood of Christ, but the consequences remain. If we train our children to act in bitterness and hate and not remain in the steadfast love of the Savior, we are simply cursing the generations that follow to be tied down with the pain of bitterness and racism. And this is true for whatever color you are. There are white people that are so entrenched in racism that they don't even realize it's racism anymore. There are black people that have been so hurt by the white community and by other communities that they are so entrenched in racism that they don't realize that it's racism. And as a group, As a church, we should reach into this and say, we understand your hurt. We understand what's going on. Let us help to ease that pain. Let us help to heal. But it's only through godly justice. 
We must pray for reform. We must appeal to the hearts of those wicked enough to believe that one life is of more value than another. We must begin to believe that melanin is simply a pigment in our skin and that more or less does not make you more or less important than others. We must preach and teach the gospel for hatred is a heart issue. But burning cities, destroying communities, and attacking others will not solve the issues of the heart. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord in Romans 12, 19. You can trust. You can trust that whatever injustice is in the world today, even though you cannot see the justice happening, you can trust that it will be judged. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. What I am saying is that as Christians, we have a responsibility to set ourselves apart from any organization that celebrates what God would call wicked, no matter how it appeals to our emotions. This is not a one-sided issue. Just this week, in two separate conversations, I have heard a conservative say, the homeless are like stray cats. Stop feeding them and they'll go away. I have also heard another indifferent conservative acquaintance was celebrating the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was in poor health and that Representative John Lewis had died because maybe we can have some conservative values now. That is an attack on the very character of God. Let me make it clear. The scriptures say there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Once you come to the cross of Christ and you are bought and paid for with the blood of the Lamb of God, you are no longer simply a black man or a white woman. You are no longer a conservative Republican or a liberal Democrat. You are a Christian and a warrior of the God of heaven, and you are expected to serve your king in righteousness forever and ever. Whether you agree with it or not, What God says is right is right. What God says is wrong is wrong. And your feelings don't matter. I used to have this coach. And he would run us all day long. I mean, it was just football coach. It'd be 100 degrees in July. We'd be on the field and we'd be running, 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 running. And we'd say, coach, I'm so tired. And he'd say, listen, Davis. This is a simple issue of mind over matter. I don't mind and you don't matter. Take another lap. (laughs) What God says is right is right. And what God says is wrong is wrong. And your feelings are irrelevant. Your conservative feelings are irrelevant. Your liberal feelings are irrelevant. Some will say, you don't know what he or she said to me. You don't understand how angry it made me. Understand, lost people will act lost. We expect that. 
As Christians, we are not called to divide and hate. We are called to preach and heal. If you are doing anything else, understand you are in sin and you need to repent and turn for the Lord is at hand. This includes Facebook, social media, and Instagram. Understand that God sees everything you post. Not only does God see everything you post, but God sees what intention you posted it with. I know that throughout the course of this, I may have stepped on some toes and done some things like that, but I can promise you that that point right there did not step on anybody's toes harder than it did mine. The reason I'm so passionate about this is because I see myself preaching to young people. I see myself preaching in the community, and I see myself trying to work and and, and in the community and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and you look and you're like, well, why isn't anything making a difference? Why isn't anything doing this, doing that? And then God opens up your eyes and say, because you didn't do that because you loved me. You did that because you had pity on me. You didn't say that because you loved me. You said that because you were trying to win an argument. Make no mistake about it, any injustice will be judged. So I want to close with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now that I've spent 30 minutes beating you on the head. Understand, when a preacher gets real kind of upset and passionate and you're like, dude, could you lay off the baseball bat for a minute? It's not because we're angry with you. It's because we've been beating the head for a full week getting ready for this message. It's because God, as we're preparing, has opened up every crevice of our heart and let us know just how evil we are. And so in love, the only thing that we can do is say, I know that this is in me. It's possibly in you. God told me it was wrong, and I would not be a watchman unless I told you. In Ezekiel, this is a side note, I don't have this in my notes. In Ezekiel, God calls Ezekiel a watchman. And then he tells Ezekiel, if a wicked man dies in his wickedness and you did not tell him that it was wicked, his blood is on your hands. If you ever wonder why a preacher steps on your toes, it's because James says not everybody should be teachers because a teacher is going to be held to a higher standard. If a preacher preaches a hard message, it's not because he hates you. And it's not because he wants to get up underneath your skin. It's because we stay up at night worrying about whether you're saved or not. There's not a night that goes by that I'm not on my knees crying for my students because they show me attributes in their lives that say they don't know God. 
and it scares me to death that when I die, I'm going to stand face to face with the Lord. And I'm going to say, but where is Kevin? Where is Cheryl? Where is this person? And God's going to say, well, you just assumed that he was saved. I want to close with the parable of the Good Samaritan. This parable has been used to allude to racial reconciliation for months and for a long time before that. Most people and preachers will say that the Christian is the Samaritan and the world is the Jew that is laying in the ditch. And that we are to to be the ones that go to our enemies. But the beauty of this parable is that we are the person lying in the ditch. We are the person lying in the ditch. Satan lied to us, tricked us, left us for dead. But Christ had compassion. And though we mistreat him and we neglect him and we don't talk to him and we don't speak to him and we say, God, I don't like what you said. Even though we neglect him, he has compassion enough to treat our wounds and pay for our healing with his precious blood on the cross and give us a new name in the family of God. Praise God that in Psalms 40, when I was in the mire and the muck, that God reached down, grabbed me, lifted me, put my feet upon a rock and established my steps and put a new song in my mouth. Praise be to God. Thank God that he did not leave me in that ditch. The problem, the reason why we have this term social justice is a a large majority is, is because the church has forgot that you were lying in a ditch. We put on our shirt and our tie and our jacket and we come to church and we sing our little songs and we pray our prayers and we hear a good message and we think, man, God challenged me. And then we go out and we forget that we were that person. Lord, never let me forget where you found me. How many times do we come into the house of God and it's just the motions? When was the last time that you came into the house of God and said, it is good to be in the house of God. Yo, I'm telling you, that two and a half months where there wasn't anybody here but me, Ryan, and Pastor Ian, it was driving me nuts. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but I'm a hugger, okay? During this pandemic, y'all pray for us huggers. We are not okay. I haven't hugged anybody in like months. When was the last time that you went to somebody that you perceived as evil? When was the last time that you went to that homeless man and said, hey, lunch is on me? When was the last time that you went to that guy in the mall, you know, that that you're so worried about how high his pants are up on his butt? When was the last time you went to him and said, brother, I'm just glad that you're alive. Let me tell you what God's done for me.
When was the last time that we really cared about who someone was? I want to close with this question. Who is your neighbor? Who is your black neighbor, your white neighbor, your gay neighbor, your straight neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, your Christian neighbor, your poor neighbor, your judgy neighbor, your neighbor that you see at work that you go, don't judge me. Everybody has one of those. You have somebody that you see walking down the hall and you walk the other way. You know you do. Ryan, I just told everybody that you were mine. I'm just kidding. I love Ron. How do you show your love for them? Do you love them? Look around our community. Where are the needs? We get so focused on programs and and missions and and we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to check this box and we got to do that and this is the way we've always done it so we always have to do it. Look around Mableton. Mableton does not look like Mableton did 30 years ago. Mableton does not look like Mableton used to. And every once in a while we have to say, if Mableton doesn't look like Mableton used to, then what is First Baptist Church of Mableton supposed to look like? Because if First Baptist Church of Mableton still looks like First Baptist Church of Mableton did 30 years ago, there's a disconnect. And if you don't want First Baptist Mableton of 30 years ago to look like First Baptist Mableton of now, do you love your neighbor? Now, I know the emails are going to be coming in. What does our church look like? For the impoverished and the poor, the church should be offering not only food... Not only things, but the church should be offering financial literacy so that they can know how to handle finances, how to pull themselves out of their situation. If you're impoverished and you don't know how to get out of poverty, then yes, it is very, very likely that you will look at someone who has and say, we have to take from the has and give to the has not. This is America. There's enough to go around. The problem is, is that we look and we say, oh, we feel so good. We've given our five, six bucks. And then we walk away. Meanwhile, that's not the issue. We should look at the issue. We should be offering financial literacy classes. What I'm saying with that is that we should be so deep in somebody else's situation that we know exactly what they need. Y'all, this spoke to me too. I've got students that for a while, to be honest with you, I really just thought they were jerks. I mean, this is me just being completely honest. I had these students that I was like, dude, this guy's just mean. This guy does not like me. And so what happened? What happens when somebody doesn't like you? You don't like them, right? Don't make me feel like I'm the only one that feels this way. And so what would happen is that every time, we would, every time we would speak, that bias would translate over to them. I noticed myself treating them different than I was treating other students. 
And then you know what happened? They were starting to figure out he doesn't like me because it was true. Because I thought, I assumed that they didn't like me. And then I found out that their situation was one that home life was rough. Mom, dad, not out of the, they're out of the picture, staying with grandma. Grandma doesn't, doesn't do anything. Grandma's drunk most of the time. No dad in the picture, no real person. They've raised themselves on their own. Every adult that they've ever talked to has considered them a problem child. Because they're looking for some guidance. The only way they know how to act is how they've trained themselves to act. And so instead of me reaching down and saying, you know what, I'm going to get muddy. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to reach down into your situation. I'm going to figure out what's going on. And we're going to lock hands. And I'm going to pull you out of this. Instead of me doing that, I just said, you know what, they just don't like me. And God said, that's an attack on my character. For the oppressed, we should be marching for justice. For the oppressed, we should be marching for justice. I'm going to say it again. For the oppressed, we should be marching for justice. Wherever there is oppression, wherever there is injustice, we should be standing up saying, that's not right. You can't hide behind your Christianity and say, I just don't want to get involved. For the young students that are walking down the steep path of destruction, we should be offering mentors and leaders. Now is not the time for the church to sigh away for the computer, from the community. Now is the time for the church to say, I see you, I hear you, God has sent me, take my hand and let's walk together to the promised land. Amen? But we cannot speak to the word about justice unless we speak of the judge. There are several of us in here this morning that after this message, we will still go on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we will fight for social justice, whatever that means to you. We'll call people all sorts of names for whatever view they have that doesn't line up with ours. And we will never once consider if that person will spend eternity or not in hell, apart from God, for eternity. Please don't get into a conversation with me about social justice if you are not concerned about the soul of the one sitting beside you, across from you, or the one that is staring back at you in your screen. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. If you call yourself a Christian and you aren't concerned about the soul of the person you are arguing against, I am concerned about yours. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Politics, causes, and social justice will not get you into heaven. Only the precious blood of the Lamb can save. Are we preaching that? Do you love your neighbor? Will you bow your head with me this morning?